Okay, uh, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 1, and uh, children K through 3 can be dismissed. Today we are uh, beginning a series in the book of Psalms, as we have uh, mentioned, called Knowing and Experiencing God. In Hebrew, the title of this book, Psalms, means songs of praise. That is songs that are meant to focus our attention on God. As you study, or as we study them together, we will learn to pray the Psalms to the Lord. And I hope you cultivate that habit as you look at and absorb promises in the Word of God, that you would take time to restate them back to God as requests or as statements of praise. Uh, Many people love the Psalms because we have learned to live by them in seasons of trouble and distress, as well as to celebrate with them in seasons of victory and blessing. And so the challenge that we're going to give you this summer is to encourage you to read through the book of Psalms. Uh, Next Sunday, we'll provide you with a list of the Psalms in a format that you can keep in your Bible uh, with a box that you can be checking off, uh, just your progress as you seek to read through the Psalms as we study them uh, together. So there's some things that will be coming up through the summer that we want to make you aware of. We live in a world that is, I think all of us would admit, is troubled. Uh, Globally, there is much suspicion and distrust between powerful nations. In our own country, nationally, trouble and heartache fills our cities and our, in many of parts of our country as a result of misuse of power that collides with a pervasive brokenness in family structure and the personal lives of people. The result of this is that we experience much disappointment. We have another election cycle coming, which I am sure you are so psyched about. (laughs) Can't wait. Um, And I want to encourage you to realize that no president of any party can be our source of hope and happiness. And if you make it your source of happiness, if you make it your hope, I can guarantee you this. They will do what every king in Israel did. They will frustrate you. They will disappoint you because they are unable to meet your needs. So my question this morning, as we look at this idea of living in a world where it is hard to be happy circumstantially, there, there is not a lot I see happening in my world that gives me cause to say, you know, I am so delighted to live in this world. It's a broken place that has been affected by sin. I was talking to a police officer last night who is my neighbor, so I guess I can say that. Uh, Brimley's husband, and uh, he was just talking about the, you know, the, the, the stress and the difficulty, all the things that are being faced, and the proliferation of trouble in the context that we live in, and I said to him, I said, I said, you know, I said, it's interesting, Corey, that there is a common denominator in all the problems that we've discussed, and that common denominator is fallen people. It's fallen people. It's broken people, just like you and I. And so if you got married so that you could fight happiness in your mate, you will be disappointed. They're imperfect. If you had children thinking, this is like the, 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 you know, the cure for everything, I, that delight that you felt the day they were born, you know, 
it kind of fades in the whining and crying and fussing that is part of human nature. You didn't teach your kids to rebel. You didn't teach your kids to, to be rough and tough to handle and turn to two by fours when you're trying to hold them. You didn't have to teach them to do that stuff. It comes out of them naturally. Human nature is broken and fallen. If we try to find our happiness, our confidence in people around us, we are setting ourselves up for disappointment and we are putting on the people around us a burden that is unfair. We want them to be for us what only God can be. And this morning, I want to encourage you based on this psalm to engage in or to embark on or to commence in, in graduation season, a pursuit of happiness. The question that comes to mind for most of us is, is it proper for a Christian to live with one of the aims of their life to be happy and confident? Is that appropriate? I've taken shots at people who make that the only goal of Christian living. But my question is, amongst the, <clears throat> the list of priorities that we have, honoring and glorifying God certainly comes first. But in this list of things that God has called us to do, we are to pursue happiness and confidence that should flood over our lives and testify to the God that we love and serve. And so this morning, I want to encourage you on a pursuit of happiness, asking the question, is it possible to be happy and confident in a world that kills joy and confidence? Can it be sustainable in a world of such difficulty? Because that's the world that we live in. I want to point your attention to the first word of Psalm 1, verse 1, and I want to direct your attention to the last sentence or phrase of chapter 2. And I want you to notice that there is a word that emerges at the beginning, at the end of this section of Scripture. Two chapters that are, in a sense, bound together by a theme. And the word that emerges is the word blessed. And the indication of that word, if you're familiar with the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, it, blessed is the man. There are very specific directives that are given to people that assist in the pursuit of happiness. And when we pursue a happiness that is originated in a pursuit of God and his purposes, we will find a happiness that ultimately does not simply satisfy us, but a happiness that brings us to our real purpose in life, and that is to exalt and glorify God himself. It is for this reason that we were created. So this morning, I want us to <clears throat> work our way through this passage of Scripture. And I, I'm going to, from each psalm, impress upon you, uh, if you want to call it a directive or an assertion, okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make a claim and then seek to justify that claim from the text that we're looking at. The first assertion is this. A believer properly pursues happiness by loving God's law, okay? A believer properly pursues happiness in a way that is completely appropriate when he seeks to love God's law. So let's work our way through the psalm and drive at this very simple assertion. The text says, blessed is the man. So there is this description of someone who enjoys an unusual degree of confidence and happiness in his life. And what you'll find is that he is described in the negative, then he's described in the positive. And so the first thought is something like this. He is careful in his associations. 
Okay, they are careful in their associations. And here's kind of this progression you find. He does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. He doesn't sit in the seat of mockers. So the progression goes from conversationally or casually engaging in relationships to standing. If, if I was to use a word from city life, from downtown Washington, I would use the word he doesn't loiter with. Okay, because when I'm walking with someone, it's a casual relationship. When I am standing with them in an extended conversation, I'm exposing myself to deeper forms of influence. And then when I'm sitting with them, I am actually engaging in life with them. Okay, and so there's a progression. And in the progression is a warning. Be careful who you spend your time with. Be careful who you allow, even for adults, be careful who you allow to influence your thinking, your priorities. We often talk about peer pressure as if it is a teen issue. Teenagers, there's a secret for you. Peer pressure never goes away. It is ever-present, and it influences your parents more deeply than most of us are aware. So this person who is pursuing happiness by loving God's law is, first of all, careful about a tendency, and we all have this tendency, to be influenced as opposed to being influencers. Okay, we tend to be influenced rather than to be influencers. So as you're living your life and mixing with people, we as believers need to be careful that we are being salt and we are being light and that we're not light that's being dimmed or salt that's losing its saltiness. And so you have to ask yourself, well, how does that happen? And I want you to notice that he switches from this negative description to a positive description of this person's life. It says, but in contrast, his, the person that's pursuing happiness, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. I just want you to notice the simple assertion, a believer appropriately pursues happiness by loving God's law. Now, this text talks about the pursuit in terms of delighting in, finding pleasure in, which the implication is simply they go after it because it is there that they are seeking delight and joy and pleasure in their life. And that pursuit of joy is absolutely appropriate. They find delight in the law of God. And I thought, okay, how, how would I, in a simple way, talk about the law of God? What is it? The law of God is what God says. It's the directives by which he governs the life of humanity. It is his advice. It is his direction. It's his commandments. Different ways you could say it. But a person who is truly blessed is a person who has regard for the word of God. Now, the next question that comes up is, how do I know if I have regard for the word of God? Follow along in the text and see what it says. It says he delights in the law of the Lord. And in addition, on his law, he meditates day and night. I want you to think about that. It doesn't say that he knows God's word. Because you can have the knowledge of God's word and not be transformed by it. And I think that is a plague in the church and on the church. People that know God's truth, but never allow it to simmer down into a place where we can mark and identify regular seasons or times or occasions in our life where God has moved us from where we were to where we should be going. Many Christians look at their life and can't mark the last time that God actually, by the Spirit, took the sword and wielded it in their life and brought change. Because we 
we get comfortable with what we know. But folks, what I want you to know is that it is possible to know without transformation. And it is possible to know without happiness. I want you to think about the ancient world. Did they have copies of the Bible that they had in their home that they could read on a regular basis? Interesting question. I think about this when I was a pastor. You should be in the Word of God on a regular basis. Okay, honestly, until the 1600s, that was impossible. You heard it on Sunday. You had to commit intentionally to memorizing it and making a part of your life and then to chew it over through the week and find out how it actually is to be put into practice. Now, because God has given us the blessing of having his word, I would encourage you strongly to have a daily habit of reading that book that will change your life and bring what you're looking for. But I do want you to know that in a world that didn't have Bible Gateway and didn't have, in 84% of the homes, 3.6 Bibles. I'm still trying to figure out how to find the .6 Bible. But I looked at it, I actually asked my phone that this morning when I was studying it. I said, Siri, how many Bibles are in the average home in America? It's 84% of homes have a Bible in them. The average home in that group has 3.6 Bibles. I don't live in a country that reflects the impact of that statement. I live in a country where, in many cases, even within the church, it's rejected because we have become selective in our obedience to God's truth. We'll rail on very obvious things while tolerating a very blatant disobedience to God. We as a church say God changes lives through vital relationships. I often think to myself, how many of us are in obedience to the pursuit of happiness that honors God, seeking to obey Him in the context of relationships in our life that are intentionally aimed at building one another up and fulfilling Hebrews 10. Caring for one another, challenging one another, Go and make disciples. That's a clear command. And we wonder, why does my life seem hollow? Why are my relationships not deep? Folks, can I just simply assert that we are often disobeying what we know to be true and not pursuing obedience to the very simple, basic principles of God's Word. He saved you for relationships. He put you into a context called a family, a church family, and a physical family where you have a responsibility to live the law of God. But we're selective. And we lack happiness. And here's the other thing we lack. We lack confidence. That we're going to be okay. That we're going to make it. We wrestle with wondering if we can survive it for the glory of God. And my challenge to you this morning is to, here's what God says. His delight is in the law of the Lord. He meditates. He thinks on it. He allows what he heard at, 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 at temple in the Old Testament to sit. He does not let it go. Why? Because he knows that these very words are his or her life. That essential to happiness for a child of God is knowing God's will and doing it. So I want to encourage you this morning to confront in yourself the tendency towards a very casual relationship with God's word. And to move into obedience to this command. Meditate on it day and night. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, Oh, how I love your law. I think about it all the time. Folks, look, there are so many distractions. And I, I love hobbies. And I have so many things I, that I enjoy. 
But can I tell you that all of them bring temporary happiness and do not sustain confidence and hope? They are easily threatened, they are weak, and they are fickle. The word of the Lord stands. The psalmist says, forever. And the wise man does what? And this picks up, Jesus picks this up later. The wise man builds his house upon the rock, which is the law of God. Folks, you want to raise your family to love God, to be happy and confident? Don't trust in a political party. Stop it. Trust in the word of God. Direct your kids patiently and lovingly to love this book. And let the happiness that God wants them to have come into their lives for his glory and for his honor. The result of this pursuit is found in the next verse. It says, he, that one that pursues the word of God and lets it simmer down till it affects change in their life. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither and whatever he does prospers. What an awesome picture. What an awesome promise. He is like a tree set by a stream of water. The leaf doesn't wither. He is fruitful and stable. Folks, the cause of unhappiness in our life is often fear and a loss of confidence. That things will be okay. There's only one way to write that. It is to love the law of God and to trust him to bring transformation into your life so that you can obey it. And let that word begin to simmer down into your life where you can be stable and beneficial to your environment. I think this text is saying something like this. A tree that produces fruit brings benefit for the encouragement of others. Dad, you want to influence your kids for good? Love God so much that the fruit of that dependence on his truth falls into the hands of their life. And bless them with stability, the strength they need from you, and with the fruit of a life that is devoted to the word of God so fully that it is changing their life dramatically. And what a great blessing we have when we keep our life according to this word. This word, and I'll just, this is a list of thoughts that flowed through my mind yesterday. This word that directs, purifies, cleanses, clarifies, limits, protects. It is profitable for rebuking, for correction, for teaching, so that you can be wiser, not smarter than all of your teachers. It acts like guardrails and road signs. Restricting, yes, but protecting. Two weeks ago, my nephew moved in a house that he and I are working on. I gave him this simple directive. I was going to wait for Jake Adams' wedding. And I said to him, I said, don't mess with the washer and dryer. That was my simple directive. If you get to know my nephew someday, you'll know that he doesn't take advice well. So uh, he decided he would plug the dryer in, which is a big mistake, because the dryer cord was not attached to the dryer. So he took the 220 amp, or 220 volt, 30 amp plug, and plugged it into the wall. He called me when he could finally get his wits about him when he got back to his apartment in the arms of his wife <laughs> and said, Uncle Tim, I plugged the dryer in. And I was I knew that isn't going to be pretty. I said, I hope you had a good 4th of July. <laughs> and I'm glad you're alive. 
because he so close to could have killed himself. But just thinking what? Was he rebelling? No. Was he being careless? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and foolish. And he almost cost himself his life. And I thought of that. I thought, you know, we know God's directive. Don't and do. Right? That word from God that is meant not to prohibit progress, but to protect you on the path of life. It acts as guardrails. It acts as street signs and stoplights. Why is it that we are so prone to resist those things? To push all the limits. Because we are rebels. We want life on our own terms, and we honestly believe that I know what will make me happy. You may know what will make you temporarily happy, but you are not capable of really knowing what the pursuit of happiness is apart from God's word. And so I would encourage you, based on this psalm, to love God's word. And, and I want you to notice in this psalm, there's this quick contrast. Not so the wicked. They are like the chaff that the winds blows away. Simply, what is true about those who ignore God's word? The life becomes worthless and unstable and clearly unfruitful. Chaff is not gathered up. The, the husk around the kernel of wheat is not gathered and prized as precious. Somebody did that and said, hey, here's what we're eating tonight. A little chat. Good fiber, okay? They'd be like, no, that stuff has no nutritional value. The wicked, that, and, and here the wicked is simply those that ignore God's directive. Are like chaff, unstable and unprofitable. Make no difference in life. Folks, here is the sad truth. When we as God's children don't put his word into practice, we are mimicking the worthlessness and instability of life without God. And you need to let that settle in. You need to realize that it is possible for me to know the truth of God and not be habitual about practicing it. And, and, and so there is a problem for us when we ignore God. But there's also another problem, isn't there? It seems like the people that ignore God are having more what? Fun. Right? And we think fun equals happiness. Because we see the party, we don't see the headache the next morning. We see the, the, the going out and abusing of alcohol and don't realize that it's tearing apart at the foundation of the home. And you could go on and on with various illustrations. You don't see the consequence. What is God doing? He's saying to his children, this is what happens when my word is cast aside. When it is ignored, it brings devastation. We live in a country that is falling into chaos in so many ways. And we live in a country that has put the word of God on the shelf or in the dump. And the results are very clear. Okay, now, I don't say that to say we should be pessimistic. I honestly get tired of the pessimism. Okay, we should be people of hope. We should be people of confidence because we are committed to embracing God's truth and living it out for his glory. We are committed to being salt and light. And I want you to notice at the end of this chapter, he says, not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. There comes a day when God draws a dividing line between those that love his law and those that don't. That is what is clear in this text. It is a sobering statement from scripture i want you to notice the next verse it says for the lord watches over the way of the righteous now i don't know about you 
That's where I want to live. I want to live in the way, guided by God's truth, so that I can have the confidence that God himself is watching over my way. And I think of that something like this. My neighbor lets her kids go to the bus stop. It's about three houses away. And she lets them go by themselves, but she watches. You know what she is? She's mother hen, ensuring that they're safe. And you know what God says? If you follow my word, I do not promise you that you will never struggle. I do not promise you that you will be free from temptation. I do not promise you that you will never face opposition. But I do promise you that I will watch over your way. And folks, what that means is this. When I drift out from under God's word and declare independence, I put myself in a hazardous place where I will sacrifice happiness and confidence. Ever been there? When all of a sudden, because of decisions or choices or values you've had or, and or made, you feel like you are all alone. That may be you this morning. I want to invite you to run to God and to say, God, teach me to love and meditate on your law day and night so that I can be like a tree planted by rivers of water, experiencing protection and then also prosperity and blessing in my life. Young person, I would say to you this morning, what you desire ultimately in life, and you may not even know what it is yet, but I can guarantee you what you're really thinking about is your happiness to be in a safe place, to be confident. That pursuit can only be found by hard choices that defer gratification and ensure happiness. Meaning there is always the temporary thrill that is found by ignoring what God says. Always. There is always a payoff for sin. Adam and Eve got it, and then what did they get? What have we done? God that they loved came. What did they do? They hid themselves. Though that's weird. What happened? They rebelled against his word. The story of grace is that God seeks us in our rebellion and brings us back into his arms in a powerful way. Believers pursue happiness by loving God's word. Psalm 2, real quickly, let's look at this. The psalmist asks this question. He says, why do the nations, some translations here are going to say rage, okay? Some translations, NIV says, why do the nations conspire and the people plot in, and I want you to just, in your mind, mark this word. Why do they plot in vain? Okay, that's the question the psalmist is asking. And then he, he gives this, this, if you will, a picture of human rebellion by describing a meeting that he's imagining in his mind. He says, the kings of the earth take their stand. The rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed or appointed king. This psalm is what we call a royal psalm. It, it, it is a bit about the coronation of the next king for Israel, which ultimately anticipates the ultimate anointed one, Messiah, Christ. And so as this God working through his people happens, what is the world around doing? Okay, the world around is conspiring, plotting in a way that ultimately is vain. It says the kings of the earth take their stand. And this stand is a stand of defiance or opposition. 
It's an antagonistic position towards the ultimate authority. Okay, that's the picture that the psalm is seeking to create on the day of the king's appointing. Their aim is found in verse 3. They say, let us break their chains and throw off their fetters. And, and so what's the assumption? The assumption is that the directives of this king are very restrictive. And we are making a declaration of independence. Okay? That's the, that's the thrust of this portion. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. So the first thing you see is this picture of human rebellion. And if I was to say, if you said to me, Tim, what is the best definition of sin that you feel like you've ever heard? Here's what I would tell you. I would tell you that the best definition, is, definition of sin I've ever heard is rebellion. Okay, it's a declaration of independence. It's when I say, I know what you want, but I'm not going to do it. I am ignoring you as my king, and I'm going to put on my own crown and run my life according to my own desire. That's what sin is. We ignore the rule of God and try to live life our own way without him. That's the essence of my sinfulness. Okay, and, and here's what it kind of is. It's a declaration of independence from God, but it is also a declaration of my capacity to run my own life better than God knows. And this is where we get into trouble. So that's the picture. This group of people, they get together. It's, it's, it, the words indicate that it's kind of a tumultuous meeting because, I mean, can you imagine what it's like when certain world rulers get together and talk about what they're going to agree to? And how much they trust each other. You just imagine. It's, 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 everybody's looking. Everybody's suspicious. That, that's the, that's what we, we sign treaties and they get broken. That's the world we live in. That's the picture here. But here the, the one conspired against is God himself. Now what I want you to notice. Because here's the question that comes up. When you see people doing things that are evil and hurting other people. In your mind you're thinking someone should do something about this. There's no way a few weeks ago you couldn't watch the videos from Baltimore of the riots and think, this is a good thing. There's no way that you could look at that video and find smiles on the face of people doing what they were doing. You could not find that. Because that's the nature of my rebellion. It's me asserting myself against the authority. And in every time that is happening, when you hear of something on the news that is deeply disturbing, what you are longing for is justice. Now, it's true in the abuse of the police officers in that case, and it's true in the riotous behavior of the rioters. Both are wrong. And in both cases, both sides start looking for what? Somebody who has the capacity to come in here and be a benevolent dictator. That's what you're longing for. You want someone with full authority who is full of love and justice. And that ain't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet. And it causes this sense of trouble in your life. And you start to say, so where is the king? And I want you to notice how the psalmist describes the response of heaven. This terminology is strong, but I want you to understand how this is stated. Because it leads to what a person pursuing happiness does. They love the word of God, and they love the son of God. And I want you to notice how that emerges here. The one enthroned in heaven. And there's a contrast. Look back to verse 2. It says, the kings of, what's it say next? The earth. And then verse 5 says, the one enthroned 
in heaven. Okay, and that is a key to this psalm. One is moving from absolute authority, permanent. One is moving from temporary and weak and fickle. So the fickle and temporary are coming against two, are coming against the ultimate. And you have to ask yourself the question, what is God going to do about this fight against his king? The one enthroned in heaven laughs. He scoffs at them. And you're thinking to yourself, God does that? What I want you to understand is there is a picture here that is laughable. It's kind of like when a child at about 10 or 11 years old has kind of had enough of their parental authority. And they come and they make a declaration to you. I'm moving out. What's your response? Well, if you're kind of, if you're emotionally challenged, you probably break down and cry, okay? That's probably what you do. But my daughter moved out to the playhouse a couple times. I called her this morning. I won't tell you which daughter, just my oldest one, okay? She moved out to the place. She had had it with us, okay? And she declared her independence. You know what I said, honey? I'll help you pack your bags. Now, was I, you know, I'm done with you, honey. That's what she was saying to me. I hate you restricting my life. I want freedom. Move it out to the playhouse. That's mine. Grandpa gave that to me. I did. Did I? Oh, I need to go to prayer. I did. I panic. No, I just. It was humorous. Okay. So when human authorities act as ultimate authorities in the face of God, it is laughable. It's ridiculous. It's ludicrous. When we say, I know better than the one who created this world. It's ludicrous, folks. And when you buy into that mindset, you can justify any behavior in your life when you make yourself king. But it is ludicrous to think that in that pursuit, you will find ultimate happiness and confidence. You won't. Because there are a whole lot of other people out there doing the same thing. And what you will learn in rebellion as one writer said, you have arms too short to box with God. My four-year-old nephew, Seth, attacks his substantially built uncle, or dad, Steve, who is my nephew. And I laugh. Seth, wow, Seth's a strong little kid. He's quite capable, good wrestler. He's good. When I see him attack my, my nephew, I'm like, oh, Steve, I, I need to come down and help you. No, we laugh. Why? Because it's, it's that... Folks, when you get this perspective, when you love God's Son as the ultimate authority, you will join God in understanding that this assault against what God is doing, and I thought it this way, is God ever mocked? The answer is yes. Is God ever ignored? Is he ever ignored? Yes or no? Yeah. Is he ever belittled in my choices and my behavior? Yes. Absolutely. I've made declarations of independence. I did it for three years out of high school. I'm not going to the ministry. I'm going to work in my dad's business. Take that. <laughs> I never had the courage to say that, and I never thought of it that way. Until one day I was confronted with what I was doing. And I realized the reason my pursuit of happiness, finding success, was unsuccessful was because I was rebelling against. 
and everything that they change. It is ludicrous, it is laughable when I say I know better than the one who programmed and made me. It is ludicrous on my part. God says, and I love, I just love this statement. God's response after he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them with his wrath, saying, and isn't it interesting, the means by which he terrifies and demonstrates and unveils the rebellion of the rebels and says to them, you are on thin ice. You know how he says it? He says, you are standing against the one that I plan to anoint and enthrone. I just think about this. But I have installed my king. Is there any contest? Nope. So you ever say to yourself, what am I so worried about? What is God saying? By decree, by the word of his mouth, the heavens were made. And by the word of his mouth, he enthrones his king, and he sends his son, and he raises him from the dead, victorious over everything, so that we would love the son, the king of kings. He says this to the king. He says, ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance. We sung that a little bit ago. And Christ will have the prize for which he died, the inheritance of nations. This is where that comes from. I will make the nations your inheritance, the end of the earth your possession. Folks, listen. If any human being says to you, I can give you the whole thing, they're lying, and it's laughable. When Satan said to Jesus, you know what, this whole dominion, I can give it to you, it's mine. It was laughable. Jesus said to Satan, I honor the king. I don't honor you. You can't even deliver your promises away with you. You're laughable. And your temptations are not penetrating because I am committing to loving the king of kings and lord of lords. He then goes on to say, you will rule them with an iron scepter. That is just a, a, a statement of strong authority so that we would have confidence in God's king. You will dash them to pieces like pottery, meaning they will be as unstable as a clay pot being struck by a metal rod. They, it's laughable. And then he gives this strong call, and I find in this an invitation. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. And I think the broader picture here simply is this. If you have lived your life in rebellion against God's law, I, I want... Victor John, when he calls me, my missionary friend from India, always says to me, so how's that working out for you? <laughs> well, he always says to me, folks, listen, if, if you have been living your life, you're hearing the word of God, you know it, and you, you've been resisting. I did it. I know what it is to do this. I do it today. If that is the common pattern of your heart, I, the simple question is, how's that working out for you? God belittling, God ignoring behavior will never produce lasting joy, and confidence in your life. But loving the Son will. And it, 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 it kind of moves in a powerful direction. There's a warning and a call. Be wise. What is God doing? God's pointed out the nature of their rebellion, and he's saying to them, be very careful about your next step. Because his wrath can flare up in a moment. Meaning there is, folks, listen, there is finally a day when the justice of God will come. 
And here's how I look at the justice of God. The justice of God is the reluctance response, or I'm sorry, it is the response of a holy God to human rebellion. And eventually it comes. It's like you say to your child, honey, I can't keep letting you do this. At some point, I am going to draw a very clear line in the sand, and if you cross it, there will be consequences. That is loving. You know what's amazing to me? You and I all live in a world where everybody wants someone who can resolve the problems of your world. Now, you know that no human leader can do it, but you want one, naturally. And what I want to say to you this morning is there is one. His name is Jesus Christ. He rose and conquered the grave. He conquered your greatest fear. And if you love his word and you love him, you will find that your life becomes more confident and more happy because you're finding your joy and your confidence in him alone. And when you find that in him, you will become a person that doesn't get all excited about their joy and happiness. You will become a person who gets all excited about the one who is bringing satisfaction and joy into your life. That's why the psalmist ultimately says in Psalm 16, he says, in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, pleasures that last forever. Folks, you know what that means? That means that what you're looking for is found in God. What you're trying to find in rebellion and ignoring God can be found actually in embracing God. And so this psalm then ends with a, an amazing statement. Verse 12. Would you read this with me? And this is the invitation. Kiss the Son lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way. Because the Son of God is the ultimate authority and leader. He is, Revelation 19, the one who comes, who is faithful and true to bring justice. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because I live in a world that, this is the song that everybody wants to hear. This is the desire of the nations, that someone would come and stop the fighting. Stop the struggle. Stop the strife. That's what in your heart, you nat- when you watch what happens on the news, you see natural disaster and you see human disaster. In both cases, in your heart, you want someone to come who can resolve. Whether you're a believer or not, you want to see justice. You want to things right, see things righted. God's invitation to you this morning is kiss the sun. You, you might say to me, Tim, okay, what does that mean? Okay, here's what I think it means in the context. It means, and in the ancient world, the kiss amongst manly men was a sign of surrender and homage, affection and love. That's not the way we think of masculinity. But it is the language of masculinity in the ancient world. The kiss that said, I got your back. I am for you. For Christians, what is it? It is the sign of full surrender. What is surrender? Surrender is the end of rebellion. And I say, God, it's your life. This is how a believer pursues happiness. To freely embrace, love, and cherish the Son of God in a way that brings deep blessedness and joy to their life. It's sad that we think that I'll find happiness through self-assertion or self-realization, or selfish pursuits. But honestly, it's my default mechanism, isn't it? My natural sinful tendency is I want it my way. Raising your kids, it's mine. 
I do it. And yet the real path of happiness is when we come to the end of our rebellion and we give ourselves to God and say, God, I am a sinner. Save me. I am a sinner. Forgive me. I am your child. Guide and direct in my life. You know, this text is quoted in Acts chapter 4. And it's quoted by Peter and John when they are facing joy-destroying trials. They preach the name of Jesus in obedience to Christ. They've experienced a coming against them from Herod and Pilate, threatening, threatening harm, threatening death if they don't shut up about the name of Christ. Do you remember that? And the response of Peter and John to these threats is, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than the ultimate authority, God. You move down a few verses, and he quotes directly from Psalm 2 about the source of happiness that the disciples had in their deliverance. Here's what he says. He says, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his ultimate anointed, one who is Christ. And then here's what, here's what Peter says. He says, indeed, Herod and Pilate met together, a, a conspiring, a conspiracy, a mutiny meeting, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. But in that, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand that should happen. And know what they say? Lord, consider the threats. You've been in control all along. We trust you. Folks, here's the key to happiness. It's to love the law of God so much that I obey it freely. Freely. And it's that I love the Son of God so much that I surrendered Him totally in every aspect of my life. Fools reject God's rule, but believers embrace God's law and God's Son. And in that embrace, they find the joy they're looking for. At the heart of all our sin is rebellion and a declaration of independence. I want you to think this morning in your own life. In what specific area have you been choosing your own desires, ignoring God, and finding that your happiness and confidence is fading away. Okay, just think about that. And what part of my life am I tolerating a known rebellion to I know what God wants? And it's tearing my life apart. And I would encourage you to surrender to God's truth and to God's Son. That area, to go to God and say, God, I have come today to the end of my sin and rebellion. This loss of joy that I find when I reject you. Today, I want to, in repentance and faith, embrace the King of kings and Lord of lords who took the consequence of my rebellion on Calvary's cross, rose victorious over my greatest fear, and ever lives to make intercession for me. Can I encourage you this morning? Love the Word of God. Love the Son of God. And that will be the pursuit of happiness that honors and glorifies God above all things. These psalms exalt the word of God. These psalms exalt the son of God. And we are called now 
to gaze and to look upon him for his glory. And it is why then at the end of the day, we as believers, and it's fascinating, as you get to the last, the last statement of scripture, you find the writer of the book of Revelation saying, in a world of trouble, even so come Lord Jesus. And may that be our heart. Even so come King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Father, thank you for your word today. 